Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara and welcome to The Bay. Local news to keep you rooted. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. Just down from Hayward Regional Shoreline Park is a power plant called the Russell City Energy Center. Not super exciting, except for the fact that it's the only thing still named for the town that used to be there. This vibrant community of about 1,400 people, and apparently the place to be on a Saturday night. Now, I didn't know about Russell City until our friends at Bay Curious did this episode that I'm going to share with you today. It's about Russell City's connection to some really cool music history, how it became a haven for Black and Latino residents who were prevented from living anywhere else in the Bay, and why the city of Hayward has since apologized for what happened to Russell City. All that after the break. In the 1950s and 60s, if the wind blew just right, you might have heard blues wafting over the bay near Hayward. Music from greats like John Lee Hooker, who you're hearing now. Or Big Mama Thornton. She recorded her R&B chart-topping Hound Dog. Years before Elvis Presley made it a worldwide sensation. Yeah. 
people from all over the world would flock to music clubs on the outskirts of Hayward to hear some of the best blues around, all in the unincorporated community of Russell City. It had no paved roads, no electricity, but it was poppin'. Oakland, Richmond, L.A., you better put Russell City in there because some of the greatest artists of our time was right here in Russell City. But the music abruptly stopped in the 1960s. Alameda County and the city of Hayward sent bulldozers to tear the predominantly black and Latino community apart. They used eminent domain to seize the land and turn it into an industrial park. What they tried was cultural genocide. They tried to remove everything that was a reminder or everything that would create a question. So-called urban renewal projects that targeted communities of color were pushed through time and time again in the Bay Area and across the country. Today on the show, we're exploring the history of Russell City, the community it was, the legacy it left, and what happened to the people who once lived there. I'm Olivia Allen Price, and you're listening to Bay Curious. The area that used to be known as Russell City is now part of Hayward. Drive down West Winton Avenue towards Hayward Regional Shoreline Park and you're headed straight for it. These days, the street is lined with warehouses, but it was once a vibrant home to a diverse and tight-knit community. KQED reporter Spencer Whitney takes us back to what it once was. Back in the 1950s and 60s, the railroad tracks were the unofficial border of Russell City. The town was about 12 blocks, home to 1,400 people who built their own homes and often took care of animals in big gardens. On the main drag was a place called the Country Club, a well-known music venue. There were churches and small businesses too. Kids played in open fields at the edges of town. Nearby was a Santucci hog farm, whose smell wafted across town when the wind shifted. For me, growing up in Russell City, It was paradoxically glorious, it was painful, it was joyous, it was devastating. It's like the good, the bad, and the ugly, but it was mostly good. When you got to the railroad tracks and crossed over, it was a whole different scene, because right over the railroad tracks, there was a nightclub. The music, you hear it whether you were a fan of it or not. You would notice that there were no paved roads, There was no electricity. We had horrid living conditions, but we had beautiful people who lived there, people who loved you and looked out for uh, one another. We planted our own gardens. We picked our own food. We had chickens. We had hogs. You know, there was always this stench from the hog ranches and animals just being um, everywhere. Big farms were no more than one block away, but the smell was... And sometimes they'd escape on top of that, you know? They got there roaming around town. We didn't experience segregation in Russell City. All kinds of people lived in Russell City. And, you know, it was a blues mecca, and people who lived there loved it, and they loved each other. And I only wish that we had been able to develop the land and live there forever. Gloria Moore, Rudy Brooks, and Sam Nava all grew up in Russell City. Named for a teacher who lived there during the gold rush, 
it was one of the few places people of color could own property back in the 1940s and 50s in the Bay Area. My dad, he worked at Todd Shipyards in Oakland. Um, my mother found a job as a cook at uh, Russell Elementary School. And then the, the glitch came when we had to find housing. It was impossible for uh, African-Americans to find suitable housing in Alameda County. We couldn't find a house in San Leandro, San Lorenzo, Oakland that was suitable and affordable. So we ended up where most African-Americans did, living in Russell City. Marion Johnson is another former Russell City resident. Both sides of her family migrated to the West Coast, fleeing racism in the South. But when they got to the Bay Area, their story was one displacement after another. My father is from, his family's from Louisiana. And, you know, it was really rough back then. My grandmother, his mother, had to move from Louisiana to save her son's life. There was a mob kind of thing him, so she took all of her sons and moved to California. Never went back. She moved to San Francisco in the Fillmore District. She was pushed out of there, and she landed in Russell City. My mom, she lived with her grandparents, who uh, moved from Oklahoma, and they landed in West Oakland, and they, too, were pushed out because they um, put that freeway in there, the 980, and they landed in Russell City as well. Pushed out of the Fillmore District in West Oakland, Marion's family was relieved that in Russell City, they could build what they wanted. It was unincorporated, so they could buy land and build houses to fit the whole family. Former residents describe a sense of community and belonging, playing together as children. And of course, there was the most beautiful music. Marion Johnson's grandmother owned a bar in Russell City. One thing I do know about my grandfather, he loved jazz music, and my grandmother, oh, she loved jazz music. So I see the connection with the jazz scene that was going on in Russell City, and that was the place to go for us because there weren't many places where we could go without being treated unfairly. So Russell City became a space where they were safe. Russell City people, they sang in church, they know harmonies, they know music, and they'd go there because it's a challenge. If you, if you get past Russell City, you can get past Carnegie Hall. We call it harnessing their skills. They've done a lot of things that they wouldn't do, and they've done a lot of things that they learned how to do. I'm Ronnie Stewart, executive director of West Coast Blues Society, and also the historian for the Russell City Project, the town that lost the blues. Some of the biggest artists of the day played Russell City honing their acts, and letting loose. Ronnie says the artists played their hearts out while here, but they also got a chance to relax and enjoy themselves. They drank on stage and gambled at the bar. And see, Russell City really didn't even open to about 11 or 12 at night, and they go till in the morning, you know, 6 or 7, and they eat this old joke, they play Russell City all night, same suit, sleep in the car for an hour and go to church. And <laughs> I want a Sunday kind of love. So anyway, Etta James used to use these loaded dice, and she'd win every time, and they couldn't figure it out. It took them a long time to figure out she was using loaded dice. Other big names like Ray Charles and Big Joe Turner also played Russell City, and all these folks helped develop what's known as West Coast Blues. The development of West Coast Blues is a mixture of T-Bone Walker-style guitar playing and big horns. West Coast Blues is more 
kind of jazzy and more sophisticated. We play bigger chords. They call it Stormy Monday, but Tuesday's just as bad. In the face of the racist policies, community members came together and fought for their health and safety. Russell City residents asked Alameda County to help them improve the quality of living by running electricity to the community and installing water and sewer systems. They were repeatedly denied. Hayward did nothing about the streets, so the streets were always pitted, and in the summer it was hard to drive over, (laughs) and in the winter it was hard to drive over because it was just mud. Rudy Brooks's father often took it upon himself to round up helpers and clean up Russell City, since neither Hayward nor the county would take responsibility. He kind of formed the improvement club, and he was the one that was leading the fight for the electricity, for the streets, and they did a number of year battle related to uh, water. The county wouldn't provide services to the community, but at the same time, they said that poor sanitation made Russell City a blight and they used that as a justification to approve a plan that would move all the residents out and build an industrial park on the land instead. In the 50s, they started this process. You know, they held hearings with the grand jury. They had already made a decision that they were going to reclaim this land through eminent domain. This is a story that played out across the Bay Area, from the Fillmore District to West Oakland. Cities and counties often use eminent domain to seize land owned by people of color and pay them far less for it. Marion Johnson remembers reading the transcript of a hearing before the Alameda County Board of Supervisors and the Redevelopment Agency. Her grandfather testified. I could just feel the pain of what he was going through, how he was feeling, because the questions that they were asking him were sort of condescending. It made me feel like they didn't think he had sense enough to know what was happening. And his questions to them basically were, why haven't you sent an appraiser out here to appraise our property? And they just circled around not answering him. And he, was, he, he said something to the effect, well, when a person purchases property and fixes it up, you don't expect to get less than what you paid for it. Tony Wynn's family also has roots in Russell City. She grew up in Oakland, but remembers visiting her cousins and grandparents in Russell City on the weekends. My grandmother never threw anything away. In fact, I have a little black purse. And I started looking at it. I'm like, oh my God, look at this. This is our history right here. Tony's grandmother kept all the notices she received from Alameda County connected to the seizure of her property. There is a a copy of a check that they sent my grandmother and grandfather that was like 2250 so everybody got that amount. This is to advise you that you have only until Friday, November 5th, 1965, in which to file your answer to our complaint. My grandmother held out because she knew it was wrong. And there's a letter that I have that they sent her threatening her, telling her if you don't sign by Friday, then you won't get anything at all. Thereafter, pay into court the amount of the money previously offered for your property. Tony told my producer, Katrina Schwartz, that her grandmother stayed in her Russell City home as long as she could. Is this, like, something that your family would talk about? No. No. Mom's the word. Mom's the word. Yeah. Yeah. Too painful, yeah. They just came in and and just took. 
just took. And, and then they were trying to say in some of the paperwork I read that it was a blight area, that there was no plumbing, floods and everything. But look at it now. And they could have did that for us, but, you know, they wanted that land. They figured out how valuable it was. So, yeah, they did what they did. <laughs> Today, the median home price in the nearby Mount Eden neighborhood of Hayward is over a million dollars. For Marion Johnson and Gloria Moore, it's painful to read transcripts of their families fighting hard to save what they had built, only to be ignored. They already made up their mind. This is just a formality. This is just so that they can say on the books that we did give them an opportunity to speak up, but the decision had already been made. After Russell City residents realized they couldn't stop the redevelopment project to take over their land, they started to leave. And mysteriously, as soon as a house became vacant, there'd be a fire. Gloria Moore. Every time someone would move from a home, it would immediately be burned down. And it was easier to just burn it down rather than wait for an eminent domain. And then, you know, in the end, they just came in and bulldozed everything anyway. The close-knit community was scattered to the winds. Once again, they dealt with racist lending policies, redlining, racial steering, and homeowners who would not sell to them. After multiple substandard and cramped apartments in Oakland, Marion Johnson's family finally found a house with a yard in East Oakland. We bought the last house from the last white person on that block. They were moving out because we were coming in. We still own that home to this day. And then the community that I live in, that we landed in, became drug-infested, over-policed. I can't tell you how many times my brothers have been pulled over. I'm scared to drive my car sometimes, fear of being pulled over. Former residents still hold Russell City in the community they built there close to their hearts. Sam Nava and his wife Juanita organize an annual picnic reunion at a Hayward Park. Gloria Moore is part of a group of 10 Russell City women who still get together every year. We've been friends since we were three years old. We call ourselves the Russell City Golden Girls. After police in Minneapolis murdered George Floyd, many cities began taking a closer look at their own discriminatory past. In December of 2021, the city of Hayward issued a formal apology to Russell City residents for how they were treated in the 1960s. Many residents we spoke to were surprised when they heard the news. My brother called me and he said, I just sent you a text. Take a look. And I opened it up and it was the apology for Russell City. Now, therefore, be it resolved that the city council and staff apologize to current and previous residents at all for the city's role in the impacts noted above and commit to taking actionable steps to address these harms. It was a shock that the city of Hayward would actually acknowledge that they engaged in discriminatory practices, you know, the redlining, and that they systematically prevented us from owning property. And I was like, oh my God, my parents were right. What are we going to do? I'm just livid. I'm just so angry about it because you don't, you don't realize how bad it was until you look back. Because I felt like, and I still feel like, I'm speaking for my grandparents who are no longer here. I'm speaking for my father who's no longer here. And I would be doing them a disservice if I didn't do as much as they did 
to get back what they purchased legally. Now, some residents are organizing to push Hayward and Alameda County to do more than apologize. They'd like to see some monetary restitution. Russell City's history is part of a larger conversation in California about land taken from people of color using eminent domain. And the more information I got, the more I saw the injustice. The more I saw that because of what you did, our great-grandparents weren't able to do what other families outside of our culture was able to do. Build wealth and equity from home ownership, from land ownership. We're looking for, you know, some kind of restoration or reparative justice, you know, trying to reclaim our wealth that was taken away from us. Not all former Russell City residents agree on this point, but Gloria and Marion would like to see the land the county owns given back to Russell City residents. And that dream isn't far-fetched. There's precedent for such a move. Los Angeles County recently returned waterfront property taken using eminent domain in the 1920s to the black family who originally owned it. Gloria and Marion envision a vibrant multi-use development with parks and shops and the Russell City community together once again. One thing is clear. Russell City residents haven't forgotten the place. Marion Johnson's mother is 81 and still makes a pilgrimage back every year to the spot where a house stood more than 50 years ago. Her grandfather planted a tree in the front yard in um, Russell City. That tree is still there. And my mother goes and sits under that tree regularly. She's, t- she's taken us to that tree on her birthday every year. And I am always was always like, why do we keep coming back to this tree? We don't own this land no more, Mama. And then the apology happened. I want my mama to be able to go back there. That story was produced by KQED's Spencer Whitney and Katrina Schwartz. Hayward is currently considering proposals for how to make amends for what happened in Russell City. Former residents like Gloria Moore, Marion Johnson, and Tony Wynn have formed a group to make sure their voices are part of that conversation. Thanks to Artavia Berry, who read Hayward's apology letter for us. Artavia was instrumental in the city's work to understand its history and make this apology. Big Curious is produced by Katrina Schwartz, Brendan Willard, Amanda Font, and me, Olivia Allen Price. Our digital video intern is Darren Too. Our show is produced at member-supported KQED in San Francisco. Have a great week. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading!
Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. <laughs>